There we go. Okay. Ooh, this is for reals. <laughs> oh wow! There's my little thing. Yeah. Here. See the whole. I thought it. I thought it worked oh, pretty well. These are brighter than I thought it was. It's probably like auto correcting, auto leveling. This is pretty slick. Pretty in Pink was released 32 years ago, and if that makes it sound like an old movie, know that the story is something you could have read hundreds of years earlier. We open on Andy, played by Molly Ringwald in her third of the John Hughes trilogy films at the height of her career. Shortly after, she was still a teen, but she pissed off John Hughes by refusing to be in his next film, and he was such a big adult person that he never worked with her again and nearly tanked her entire career. She's from the wrong side of the tracks, with a dad who doesn't do much of anything, and goes to a rich kid school where she's almost universally hated, except for her fellow pal Ducky, who's also from the land of misfit toys and amazing thrift store finds. Once the stage is set in the film, we meet a rich guy named Blaine that decides to break ranks with the czar of rich assholes, James Spader, who, by the way, is nearly 10 years older than Molly Ringwald. Blaine and Andy develop a teen relationship that only seems to occur in four different places because life in the 1980s only took place in four different places. Oh, they could have used a few more filming locations and maybe it was too low budget of a film, but no, I'm saying it's a documentary in a sense. Soon, Blaine boldly asks Andy out and takes her to a rich people party where they're both looked down upon for being there. Andy for being herself and Blaine for bringing her there. Andy wants to leave immediately, but Blaine wants to prove a point. It's up to the viewer to figure out if screwing over the feelings of your date on your first date is worth proving a point to your asshole friends. Ducky flips out during the whole Andy Blaine courtship because he was the friend with secret feelings even though she clearly thinks of him as a brother. He also breaks out the heavy artillery for 80s media, the lip sync. Eventually, James Spader lays down the law and Blaine falls in line, ghosting Andy right after he asked her out to the prom. Ew. Today, unsurprisingly problematic, it's 1986's Pretty in Pink with special guest me, Matt Howie. Hey, Matt. Hey, Erica. <laughs> so, uh, so this whole uh, this whole podcast thing that we're doing here uh, was kind of your suggestion. Yeah, I was just making a, a little jokey uh, Twitter reply comment uh, that it sounded like a good idea, and and you ran with it. Which yeah, is I rad. Tell it, totally rad. I totally ran with it because. <laughs> I was just watching uh, some 80s movies and uh, and people seemed very excited. You know, we're part of the lost generation, right? Generation X. Nobody talks about us anymore. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> There's millennials and boomers locked in this death struggle. And meanwhile, the five remaining members of Gen X are out here like, cool we're just we're just working and hanging out and stuff you don't get blamed for anything it's nice yeah, I, I guess that i guess that is a good thing but once once we were young and movies were about us and uh, and that that's what mm -hmm. we're we're talking about did you uh did you go to your prom uh no i did not i hated it oh I you were just go. against <laughs> against the idea of prom um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I did have a sort of girlfriend at the time who was into going. She was a little younger. I think she was a junior. Uh, my dad said he'd pay for it. And then when push came to shove, he was like, what? $500? No, I'm not going to pay for that. So I was like, this yeah. is like months before it happened. So I sort of told my girlfriend at the time, eh, let's not go. And then we ended up in a hotel room drinking Budweiser, and it was like permanently scarred me for life for Budweiser. It tastes terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not good. Um, so I, I actually went to my boyfriend's prom 
1986 in the same ballroom that the prom from Pretty in Pink was filmed at. Is that the is it the same school they filmed all the all the scenes in? Like no, the no, the the, the prom stuff? was at the uh, Biltmore Hotel in downtown oh, LA. Shit, fancy. Oh yeah, it was so fancy, and um, and yeah, so it's it was strange to uh to to be in the actual room because of course it was much less well lit than the movie. <laughs> And, uh, and the best part was that it was a Catholic school prom. And so, uh, there were nuns there. There were nuns there in full habits. Meanwhile, there were these like teenage girls in like really, uh, tight low cut prom dresses because we didn't have the dress code thing you hear about now where teachers are scoping out girls cleavage and stuff like even at a catholic school prom you just got to go in with your full rack out or whatever so <laughs> so there are all these girls in like little tight satiny dresses getting down to like a virgin in the biltmore wow. hotel ballroom while nuns were just hanging out chaperoning <laughs> just keeping did they do the Belt buckles a foot apart. No, no, it was like a dark room. People were like making out in corners. Oh, cool. And then uh, w- when we went up to the room, we were drinking a white Zinfandel, not the Budweiser, nice. but the the other preferred beverage of teens in the eighties. So, did you remember seeing this movie at the time it came oh, out? Oh yeah, definitely. Do you uh, do you recall like what were the circumstances? Oh, I don't. I was trying to think if I could remember. Or what did you think of it? I guess like what. Do you remember your first feelings of this movie? Uh, I, I, I I remember liking it. I sort of have a general like, oh, it was one of, because we saw all the John Hughes movies because we were right there being the people kind of in the movies. Although I had no point of reference for the the geography because most movies were shot in LA. And so <laughs> so I didn't know what, uh, what a Chicago area was or, you know, anything about Michigan yeah. where he's from, anything like that. I'm like, huh, that's weird. The the prom takes place in this LA hotel. I don't know where they are. No, I remember generally l- liking the movie with just a, a couple of exceptions because the movie for me felt really real. It, it was in many ways mm-hmm. kind of like a documentary in terms of the, a lot of the fashion, uh, definitely the music, like the soundtrack is really good. And the soundtrack probably holds up better. Yeah, I was thinking, do, do like modern movies, they don't do this as much anymore. You know, like um, new songs don't debut very often with a, with a movie and soundtracks aren't like amazing. As far as I know, I think Pretty in Pink, the Psych First song was like the only old song because um, Molly Ringwald loved the song and told John Hughes apparently to write a script around it, and he turned one out really fast. But um, a lot of the songs were specifically picked and debuted sort of in the movie. Um, And I was just thinking, like, man, that just doesn't... I mean, I can't remember the last... I mean, all the soundtracks that come out are, like, compilations of old music. Um, It was the Trolls movie recently. There was, like, a new Justin Timberlake song in it. Like, his, you know, his poppy, happy song that came out a couple years ago came out with the movie and I was like, when was the last time that even happened? And then the eighties, it was like every soundtrack was banging. It was all modern, normal music. It was like, it, it, it yeah. Was the the song, movie. Um, it was amazing. Uh, if you leave the orchestral maneuvers in the dark OMD song was written for the movie mm-hmm. in two days because they tested yeah. the first ending where Andy goes off with Ducky audiences hated that. 
and uh, and so there was a one song to go at that ending, and they just wrote another song, and it's a great song, and I remember the song probably even more than the movie as being sort of evocative at the time. Yeah, I was listening to the soundtrack this weekend after watching the movie, and I was like, I forgot how thirsty these songs were. Oh my god, like Morrissey, Morrissey, like please, please, please let me, let me. I mean, it's like the worst possible, you know, thing for a dude to say. And uh, there's an excess song that's like, I need not, I need you tonight, but it's another one that's just like, you're the only one, give me what I need, and I need it. Basically, are the lyrics, and I was like, oh my god, I forgot how how just uh, upfront those songs are. Um, oh yeah, I remember seeing this in the mall, but I had an older brother dragged me to all these things. I was, I looked it up. I was only 13 at the time. So it was maybe too, slightly young for it, but I just remember being sort of indifferent about it. Like, I don't remember loving it because it was like girl stuff and like, uh, oh, it's total girl yeah, stuff. I was like, yeah. uh, 12 and 12 to 14 year old boys are like the most self-centered jackasses in the world with zero empathy for anyone in the universe except themselves. So I remember just watching what, it. Being... 14? That ends at 14? So... <laughs> Never ends. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think I remember seeing it. I think I was dragged to it. My brother dragged me to like every sort of uh, teen movie and John Hughes movie. And yeah, wow. I just. I, I love that your brother took you to Pretty in Pink. That's so. Yeah, I don't know why. He was, he's three years yeah. older than me, so he was like 16 or 17 at the time. And it's just like he, me and him going to the movies was pretty much every Saturday and uh, especially in summer, but this came out in February, but yeah, this is probably something I did on a weekend. Yeah. I remember being dragged to it, kind of kicking and screaming and was like, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, watching as an adult now, I have never, I haven't seen it since. I've never thought about it much since. Um, and watching it today, it's like, um, I think the whole thing falls apart for me in the, uh, mm-hmm. in the, like the emotional turns of it. Um, and I thought there were two turns and the first turn is like that party, like do, uh, you take your date to a party to prove a point. She's uncomfortable. She wants to go home and you're like, fuck no. (laughs) Like we're parading around this party. And like half of that is like teens always testing each other's boundaries about what they're comfortable with. But I'm like, I mean, watching it today, I'm like, wow, what a jerk. Like, why don't they just go? Like, he's a rich guy. They can go anywhere. Like, why don't they just go get some food or something? I can't believe I actually associate with these people, huh? I can't believe that I'm actually here. Pretty bad, yeah? Yeah, it's pretty bad. I'm sorry. Hey, let's go upstairs, huh? Um, but really, the turn that, I mean, I don't know if I liked it at the end when, uh, you know, the prom scene. I was just like, man, I don't remember an apology. <laughs> like, like, he just shows up and goes, I love you, is like the first thing he says, which is fucking bonkers um you should probably say i'm sorry uh here are some reasons why i'm sorry um i think i still miss you and before that i love you i was just like wow that just came out of nowhere it was just creepy so yeah watch it today i mean how did you feel about it well yeah so so it's it's just like that yeah it's absolutely creep they're creepy and insensitive and even the guys that you're supposed to uh identify with you know uh Blaine and Ducky, who are the sympathetic dudes in this movie, yeah, they're 
they're both problematic. And, but, but that part's really real. Cause uh, you know, having been a girl in <laughs> high school and especially a girl at high school at this time, that behavior is not out of character. Like, like none of us were great <laughs> communicators. Like, if you dicked over somebody, did you really say like, hey, man, like, let's have a conversation after school and just apologize because now upon reflection. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you just like shove it under the carpet and hope it never comes up again. I, I'm reminded the worst thing I ever said to a girlfriend ever in my entire life, and I still regret it, is I went and saw a, <laughs> a girlfriend on stage doing um, some Mary Poppinsy thing, and she was like a chimney sweep in Hot. it. And uh, she was she was overdoing, yeah. you know, she was just in it. Like everyone else was just background set decoration. She she had this really minor part as a chimney sweep, just in a dance and a song or something. And she had like this makeup. It was just like hauntingly realistic compared to everybody else's. She was like covered in charcoal and stuff. <laughs> so she was method. She was real method about it. Yeah, her. and then after the show, I said something. I'm like 14. I like walked up to her and go, wow, you had so much charcoal on your face. I mean, I mean, it's kind of like, Oh, I said, I remember saying the words, it's kind of pathetic. Like, like we're oh. done. And then, yeah. And then I like turned on my heels and walked away and thought that was a good exchange. Like just a horrible, horrible thing to say to someone who just did a giant creative thing on stage. Like these boys are bad. I was thinking the relationship moves pretty slow through the movie. And I wonder if it's just slow pacing of eighties movies, you know, where like I've heard friends say, if you watch a movie from like before 1990, the characters didn't go to someone's house. You see the car driving on the street. You see the car park. The person gets out, they walk up to the door, they knock on it. Whereas a, today a movie would just go, I went over to her house and it's like, knock, knock, knock. And the door would open. You'd put all that together because like the entire relationship is, I don't know. It feels like the whole thing takes place in a couple in a week, maybe, or two weeks. And it's like, ask out on a date. They have that one date. I think they have one quiet time and then it's prom and then the movie's over. There wasn't a lot of development. I don't know, you know, what happened. This, the movie was slow or what? Or faster? Looking back on it now, it feels like really true, I think, to the teen experience. Because I was reading some of the contemporaneous reviews and especially by dudes like Gene Siskel of Siskel and Ebert hated it. And, you know, some people just said it was trash. It got pretty good reviews. And it was a really, it was a successful movie at the time. But these adults watched it and they're like, oh, this is so trite. Oh, it's just a, a rich kid, poor kid romance. But when you think back to what it was actually like to be a teen, those like weeks would drag out if you liked somebody and you're like, oh, like, you, and you'd have all yeah. this drama and you wouldn't talk to somebody for like three days and it felt like an eternity. And so I think that kind of like that captures that, you know, and, and, uh, and at the beginning you said, uh, you know, they only had you know, three locations they ever went to, but how many, like, did you go to a, a lot of like places? Like, where did you grow up? No, <laughs> I grew up in Orange County, California. So it was homeschool mall, Brea Mall. Yeah. That's like, went, that's, that was the default. You just went to the mall. It didn't have any money. I would just go there. That was the place you went. That was that was Twitter. It was just go to the mall, hang out, and talk to people. Um, I worked in the mall for a short time. Uh, I think everyone sort of did. And then, what store? What yeah, store like, in the mall did you work at? <laughs> this is funny. I, I'm proud of this. It's not. It was a big and tall store, and I had to wear a tie wow. every day. Uh, and it was like it was really weird to get used to wearing a tie when I was only like 16 or 17. 
it was my second job. My other job was at a bike shop down the road, but yeah, it made all of life occurred at school at work, uh, school or at home or at, at the mall or some other fourth location, like a party. Or yeah, some, yeah. somebody's house, a party at somebody's house. Yeah. So so when you go back and you really think like, what was my life like as a teenager? I think the movie kind of captured that. And uh, and yeah, and I think the fact that like Blaine just came back to the prom and was like, okay, I recognize my feelings and I, and I love you. Like, like that's a yeah. good outcome because at no point in between that did Blaine call it <laughs> pathetic. So you know. did, uh, was your Hollywoody high school like anything like the high school in this? As I'm watching it today, I'm like, Okay, there was, I went to a, uh, I would say middle class to upper middle class high school where some of the California Angels players' kids went. So there were some like rich kids. Mm-hmm. There was maybe one or two BMWs. I never saw a Porsche at high school in my life. And I was like watching this, looking at the cars going, man, this is a really over the top school. Or was it like, what was it like in a Hollywood in LA? Oh, oh no, I was in the Valley. <laughs> I was in the Valley, uh, the 818. And let me tell you, uh, so I came, I, I literally lived on the other side <laughs> of the tracks from my high school. I was in the flat part of the valley and my high school, William Howard Taft High School, was in the hills, essentially. And my high school parking lot was like BMW, BMW, BMW. A wow. dude had a DeLorean. Okay. And he what? got, yeah, I guess this would have been like the James Spader character. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like, yeah. And this was a public, this was a public high school, normal public high school. And so the people with money, like the guys with money, I remember would wear blazers and skinny ties. No, one <laughs> guy literally crashed his Beamer and his parents bought him a new Beamer. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah, I was watching yeah. like James Spader wearing a linen suit going, did anyone wear a linen suit uh, for real in school? But I guess well, that not, happened. Not like a, a linen suit. Like I think, I feel like, yeah, James Spader, like I love his character. And I'd actually kind of forgotten that there were like two rich dudes in, in my mind when I thought back before I watched the movie. I just remembered rich guy. And I thought that James Spader and the the the... Andrew McCarthy, the Blaine character, were like the same character, but it was like a rich guy who was kind of an asshole, but then they go to the prom or whatever. No, no guy wore his shirt unbuttoned to that level, to that James Spader level. And there there wasn't really linen, but there were definitely like blazers, skinny ties, and I don't know if you had the boat shoes, the topsiders with no socks. Yeah. Oh my God, I got yeah. so many blisters trying to break some in. Oh God. Rip-offs yeah. that like weren't made of soft leather and you just get ankle blisters. I, I looked up all the ages of everyone. So I'm going to take one off since I assume they, they filmed it the year before. But Molly Ringwald is only 17. Andrew McCarthy is 23. James Spader is 25 in what? it. John Cryer is 21 and Annie Potts is 34 and or 33. So it's like... Their ages are all over the map. Everyone seemed too old to me, except for Annie Potts. But uh, Spader definitely seemed old in the movie. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I had a hard time believing he was in high school. Hey, hey Blaine. Yeah. How you doing? All right. Uh, t- no, I- I'll get another room. No, 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 no. Come on. I'm just I'm watching some tunes here. So, who, who you got with you here, Blaine? Uh, Andy. This is Steph. Steph, Andy. Oh, it's very nice to meet you, Andy. Uh, listen, uh, do you want to come sit down? Or you want the bed, is it? No. No, we're fine. Well, at least come in and have a drink. Let's go. Can I get you something? I mean, this is my last serious party of my high school career. Hope you guys are going to 
tough it out until Sunday, at least, when the folks get home. I think this one may just finally kill the old son of a bitch plane. Yeah, just the way he was acting. But but that aside, like so much, like I, I knew dudes like that who had money, who had the feathered hair, who there was a lot of coke flowing wow. through my high school. And again, public <laughs> high school. If there was coke, I had no idea. But I know I've heard stories since. So I just didn't know that. I was totally a yeah. ducky. I was totally a... I was totally the misfit kid with the nerds. Uh, didn't get invited to parties very often. I was a BMX door. That was really weird, by the way. There's like a moment of BMX in the movie. Ducky's riding down the street. Suddenly, he's, I think it's Seppi Mays, this guy I used to know who rode for a certain bike team. And he's suddenly on a fixed gear um, BMX bike. And he does this one-handed wheelie. And then he does a surfer with his feet on the bars in the seat standing up. And it's, it was just really weird. His bike like changes like in one scene and he turns the corner and it's clearly not Ducky. It's like a taller, thinner guy. It was really funny. But, um, yeah, let me see. I was thinking, what was, what was the peak, the most peak 1980s moment in the entire movie for you? The record store was, uh, was pretty spot on with, um, with Iona hanging out like I, in her like spiky hair, the, I would say the, the Fashion was really uh, what did it for me because, again, like the high school, like the cars, definitely I got because I went to that kind of high school with the like kids with money, kids without money. The the high school itself was very physically different, but it really was the um, yeah, just the what people wore and the hanging out in the record store because I guess they didn't have a mall, so they they went to the record store. They do say like she's at work at the mall at the record store. I think her dad says it once or something. And I was like, is it at a mall? Like it doesn't feel because yeah. it's like an outside door. But like, is it one of those stores that's connected to the mall? Like because my Tower Records was right across from the Bray Mall, and that was that was a Friday Saturday night staple of. Like we're just gonna thumb through CDs and and oh, vinyl yeah. and just listen to good music being played and maybe once a month buy a twenty dollar CD, but like go there five times and spend zero money was normal. Put that back. You missed my eye by an inch. Half an inch. This ain't the public library, Lightfinger. Oh, oh, yeah. We we also, we hang out at the Tower on Ventura Boulevard. Oh, yeah, cl- close by Studio City. So what was the most 80s moment Oh, for I you? think it's like at some point, um, James Spader's having a talk with Blaine. I think he's trying to talk him out of dating um, Andy. And he's like just casually um, uh, preparing cocaine packets and little folded up pieces of paper, which I've only seen in movies before. So and it's just like casually yeah. and it like implies so much that like, he has so much cocaine that he can just package yeah. some to resell. And he just does this because he doesn't care. It's clearly like he doesn't need the money to be a drug dealer. And that's not his source of money. It's just like, I just love that. Like, it's not even remarked upon. He's just like, hey, uh, I'm gonna, let's have a talk about that thing. And while and what he's doing with his hands is like packaging cocaine for resale, which is, just blew me away. Yeah, I will say that I never actually um, saw to my knowledge, anybody do cocaine, but I was definitely around people at parties who were clearly coked up and possibly in class oh, man, too. Like, kids have so much energy. What do you need? Like, how could you possibly handle any more energy? Ah, I know. Like, coke know. is wasted on the young. Coke is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the clothes were nuts. The clothes were over the top. I did. 
point. I did point out to you, like, I couldn't believe when they had this weird PE scene that they were wearing these, like, one-piece denim smock things with their school name on it. I've never even seen anything like that or even, like, is that... Yeah. Didn't that seem like from the 50s or something? Yeah, so I'd say the thing that really struck me uh, in this movie because because I, I thought that the clothes and the cars and just a lot of the a lot of the stylistic stuff, the, especially music, was really '80s. But then there were some things that just seemed like real anachronisms. And yeah, the PE outfits seemed like something from maybe the '60s. I think uh, the prom dress when because a, a key moment is you know Iona's wearing her old prom dress and then she gives it to Andy and that's one of the dresses that Andy recuts into mm-hmm. her dress. That was not like if you figure, oh, she's supposed to be in her 30s and that was supposed to be like a a late 60s prom dress. That was not like the prom dresses in the 60s were, especially in the later part of the decade, were really like flowy, gauzy, like hippie dresses or like a little peasant Mm -hmm. thing. And that was that was something out of like the late 50s, early 60s with the beehive hairdo. Mm -hmm. So that it really seemed like either uh, Annie Potts was supposed to be playing a character that was much older than she read or the they they got something wrong there about the timing of of that dress what was the other uh, i was also laughing is like i was like watching it it was near the end um maybe i wasn't paying a thousand percent attention but i was like hey can i get your dress i'm gonna go to prom anyway even though i just got dumped she's like yeah sure here take it and i was like oh she's so just gonna put it on and then we're gonna change scenes to the prom and then it's like she's suddenly cutting it up <laughs> i was like i don't remember her giving like permission to tear my dress to fucking shreds but she and she just wore it too she could wear it in the future but now she can't i, I was i was a little surprised by that i was like huh i don't remember the scene where she goes go ahead and, and make anything you want out of this <laughs> yeah ch- chop this up because when her dad when um uh, Andy's dad comes home and brings her a dress. He's like, yeah, I found this dress. So that that was kind of a surprising moment, uh, too, that he would know. Because I don't know um, many... Well, I guess he was a single dad, and he was a, he was a sensitive guy. The Harry Dean Stanton character kind of playing off type, I think, there as an un- unemployed, but, a, <laughs> but generally well-meaning and nice, um, non-domestic abuse-y kind of dad. Uh, to, to be like, oh, I, I found a pretty dress for you that fits you. It's like, how would you as a single dad have any clue? But sure, fine. So that was a fantastical element. And he knew that he's like, oh, you can take this and make something out of it. But yeah, I feel like she's like, oh, thanks, Iona. Thanks for your very special, cute prom dress that still fits. Mm-hmm. Let me just just shred it now <laughs> and make this new uh objectively hideous dress i mean can we just admit that that the dress the the uh symbolic like ultimate outfit there it's it's ugly and i think and i've i've been thinking about that and i think it was probably the right choice Mm -hmm. you know for the movie for her to do what she did because oh she she takes their store clothes and cuts them into other things and and not being like it was her rejecting uh, conventional ideas of what was pretty. And I, I really, I like that. And I think that's really what redeems the movie <laughs> is that, um, no, not that she chops up. No, no. Dress it, and it makes like a, the uh, intro kind of uh, blew up on me backwards. Uh, you know, I haven't seen it in 30 years. I was like, I remember being like, a poor girl and rich guy. And it opens and she's wearing like her outfits, you know, right. They show her getting yeah. dressed, which is a little creepy. Like the close-ups of her putting on pantyhose way up her leg. It's a little creepy. 
um because she's like 16 <laughs> um yeah and then, uh, and then she's walk, they show her walking to school in her full getup, and I was like, she looks fucking rad. Like by today's standards, yeah. that is a really cool outfit. And then she gets to school, and all the rich girls are scoffing at her about how poor she looks. And I was like, because in my mind, in the first minute of the film, I'm like, hey, how does she afford all this? She looks amazing, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so yeah. So that was something that was also like. Uh, you know, remembering what clothes were like at the time, like her outfits were trendy, but that was shit you'd buy at Contempo Casuals, right? That yeah. was like, that didn't have the thrift store vibe. Like I thought Ducky's jacket with like the army patch on it. Like that was, that was real. That's what like the hipster kids without a lot of money would do. But her clothes, yeah. her clothes didn't read as like, oh, that gross poor girl. Like, they, they yeah, look- I was like, what are they talking yeah. about when I was watching that scene? Yeah, doesn't Ducky wear an old lady's brooch? Yeah. Just like, like instead of a tie at some point, you're like, Oh, he's like the weird throwback guy. Um, oh yeah, totally. You know, so so that was totally on. But yeah, but she looked, she just looked cool. And it was like every one of her outfits was great up until the prom dress. And you're like, oh. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it did have the the shoulder cutouts, which are, are very trendy today. And uh, <laughs> yeah, lucky. Uh, but but that whole like, oh, I'm you know I'm gonna uh, live my style, and I'm gonna take these dresses and cut them up into something that's really my own. Like that felt true. That was on. And uh, yeah, so for the whole thing, it really felt like. And I think you know John Hughes, like in retrospect, people and even a uh, uh, Molly Ringwald went and wrote a piece earlier this year about Breakfast Club specifically, which is a, a topic for another time. But about thinking back to these movies and thinking yeah, there were problems, but those movies really did like take the, the teen girl's perspective a lot more Mm -hmm. than even a a lot of other, a lot of other movies today. And, and that's what I felt. I felt it was like true to her being the protagonist and this being her story and her really trying to like live her truth through this whole thing. And I think that's really what redeems it, even though it's, you know, it's a simplistic story. It's like poor kids, rich kids, but that's how it is in high school. Like, like even some of the reviews at the time were like, Oh, uh, you know, there's all this, what did any of these kids see in each other? Like, why did she like this boring rich kid? And it's like, do you remember what it was like to be in high school? Like, like it's a hormonal stew, right? It's like, everybody's just like out of their minds and like, you know, doing their schoolwork and and avoiding their parents and then having all of these dramas over nothing. And so of course she's like embarrassed to have the rich guy see her. Like I, I had those experiences of like, Oh shit. One of my friends who's got more money is going to like drop me off at my house. I don't want them to see my house. And so that was, that stuff's true. Like everything about money and about what the clothes you wear, what they mean is is really um uh that's really about the time and about the culture and it's hard to see from the outside right you can't really look from the outside and say that's objectively a better outfit or you know cuz cuz it does matter like the the rich kids were wearing boring clothes but that obviously cost a lot of money or had labels and then the poor kids who realized once once you go to college and you're like Oh shit! I'm actually way more interesting, right, than everybody else who you aspire to be. Like growing up, you aspire like, oh my god, these kids have so much money and they're so set. I wish I could be like them. And then you're like, oh shit, they were really boring. <laughs> yeah, you know when we uh, uh, con- <laughs> conceived of this entire project in two Twitter replies as a joke, like I really thought these movies would be um, 
like I thought of the weird sciences things that are like pretty like casual homophobia and uh, and racism and stuff just being a staple. This movie wasn't that bad. There is the the, the yeah. uh, gay slur f word gets dropped at some point, but which I like don't remember happening. But um, this was surprisingly like pretty good. Not very problematic at all. It definitely centered on Molly's story. And when you read all the trivia on IMDb, it's like Molly Ringwald per- like personally pushed. John Hughes a lot on this movie for like for casting mm-hmm. choices for um, like a bunch of like the choices in the uh, the way uh, the plot went out um, and then they had a falling out because he wanted to do some kind of wonderful he wanted to redo the story the exact same story but like she goes with the ducky in the next one and I remember some kind of wonderful was like quirky kids you know and then a popular kid comes in and gets shunned she refused to do it and then he flipped out but um but yeah, I don't think, uh, I never got, yeah, I didn't think this was that problematic. There, like, I looked it up on the Bechtel test, <laughs> and it's like, uh, one person, there were three, there were three mentions, um, one person said no, no way, because um, Annie Potts' character and Molly Ringwald, all they talk about is boys, um, or the prom, or her boyfriend, like, they hardly talk about anything that's not related to boys, and uh, two people on the Bechtel test site were like, um, technically... She, you know, Molly talks to the PE teacher about something, and it's and and uh, and they also said the rich snobby women who are laughing at her, dre- her the way she's dressed <laughs> is technically a conversation between two female characters, not about a boy. But I'm like, uh, it's like the yeah. those are the worst sort of examples. I think in the PE class, um, there's an argument, you know, going on. Like it's yeah, I was surprised that there like wasn't more women in the movie yeah. for, for being so, I mean, there's, there's friends by dudes and it's what dudes think and feel the whole time. But yeah, it is, it is about her relationship to, to especially like different men in her life, like her relationship to her father. And she didn't have, and I think this is a, another aspect of high school that can be kind of true. She didn't have girlfriends, right? She had Iona, who was like her substitute mother figure, like her cool aunt kind of figure. But then she had like Blaine and Ducky and her dad. And so all the people in her life, and I think I think this maybe this happens a lot more with like girls who come from like, you know, don't have as much money and end up like, oh, you're like palling around with your guy friend from the neighborhood and you you have a harder time making friendships with girls because girls are doing that mean girl thing. And so I think maybe, yeah, it doesn't pass the Bechdel test of having two female characters talk about something that's not a guy. But I still feel that this was a this felt like a it would have been a true scenario because like she's, you know, she's a heterosexual teen and she has relationships with guys that she's negotiating and then she has a good female friend who's also like, oh, I kind of want to date people and I'm trying to negotiate how much I should fit in. And I think that's the thing that disappointed me is Iona's storyline because she ends up, she has all this, like she has the best style too through the whole thing. Like she uh, she manages a new wave record store and she has all these cool outfits and then she's like, oh, I found a guy I want to date seriously. So now I'm going to dress like a mom. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> Well, she's trying out different looks, and that's just like, I'm going to look like I should be on a real estate, um, like a yeah. bus stop. Oh. <laughs> it's maybe a look. I don't know. Where do you, Can we talk for five minutes about like the popular refrain that like 
Ducky is gay and Reeds is gay and he should have been gay or something. Like, did you pick up on, like, what do you think about it today? Like, rewatching it. Looking, looking at it now, Ducky, Ducky totally does not read as gay to me. I knew that guy. They awkwardly yeah. flirt, but they're not flirting. They're, and they're doing all this weird performative stuff. And they have all this fashion. But, you know, back then in the 80s, there weren't really any out gay people in the media or especially in like mainstream movies about teenagers or even, you know, pop stars like George Michael weren't out back then. I think a lot of the interpretation of the character is up to whoever saw themselves. So it didn't really matter uh, what John Hughes intended or how he wrote the character. The, you know, I'd, I'd say that interpretation is really up to people uh, in the audience. Straight guys all wore like jewelry and makeup, at least in certain, you know, social groups and like especially following like the new wave music and stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I didn't get that read at all. I got like, oh, Ducky's like a drama kid hipster who um, just isn't good at, uh, you know, who has this girlfriend who now, uh, you know, friend who's a girl and he's got feelings for her. I, I can't believe that the first ending was her ending up with Ducky because because he's so entitled and he's such a he's an asshole. Right. But that's so that's again, like, so that felt real, really true. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, oh, you're my friend. And now that we're like our home, our hormones are kicking yeah. in. I, I want to like date you and make out with you. And, and that feeling of like, hey, why don't why isn't this reciprocated and being angry about it? That's a That's a teen reaction. That is a very. Uh, like not necessarily appropriate but that's like a right on like accurate teen reaction about like yeah. oh oh so you're gonna date that guy who's a giant douchebag who's got like the feathered hair and the bmw well you know i'm angry or like that's that's really real he's not like the other guys seriously no no, no what man you really pissed me off you know because because <laughs> you know they shit all over everybody including you i just i can't believe you'd be this stupid shitting on me. I'm not going to let anybody shit well, on me. He's just, he's going to use your ass and throw you away. God, I would have died for you. So what am I supposed to do? He asked me out and I like him. If I hate him because he's got money, just listen to me. If I hate him because he's got money, that's the exact same thing as them hating us because we don't. Do you understand? You can't do this and, and respect yourself. You, 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 you can't. Well, I'll make that decision, all right? Sure, you can, you can do what you want. You know, you're talking like that just because I'm going out with Blaine. Blaine? His name is Blaine? Oh, that's a major appliance. That's not a name. Just because I'm going out with Blaine doesn't mean I can't be friends with you. But he never apologizes it, you know, for saying like, oh, I really shouldn't have flown off the handle. But again, like teens don't know how to communicate. Oh my God. Who, like, how old? This this would be like a, a great audience question. Like, how old were you when you realized, like, oh, I said something hurtful to somebody I was dating and then I apologized? Like, what age was that? Was that 20, 25, 35? You know? I was glad they didn't put a label on, like, he's essentially like this prototype of the friend zone, you know, in yeah. quotes. And I'm glad he didn't put that title on it to, you know, make it super obvious. But, you know, in the process, he, like, uh, Ione, uh, Annie Potts, he, like, you know, kisses her without asking her first, which is pretty yeah. creepy, just to try and be, to make her jealous or whatever. I was like, uh, that's kind of um, assault-ish. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that is true. Like, I think because one of the things that maybe we should um, talk about in this uh, this podcast going forward what is like yeah, <laughs> moments of moments of sexual assault that wasn't right. Like that was weird because you know she's like this adult figure in your life. Her law I saw broken. I couldn't help was Andrew Dice Clay at the uh, at right. the club. I was I was like I was like how did how did 
Andrew McCarthy and Molly get into a club that serves drinks. Like, like what? And I was remembering like the eighties, like there were like teen clubs, but they never had, they couldn't have alcohol, but there was, a, yeah. I mean, there is no such thing as I think a teen hangout club these days, but there was back then. But I was like, wait, Ducky oh, can't yeah. get in because he's too young. But then the others. Came yeah. That actually totally confused me. Cause like, I, I was like, why can't Ducky get uh, in? But but again, yeah. again, so I don't, I, cause I thought he was the same age <laughs> as Andy, but also this is something that in the eighties happened all the time was girls could get into clubs. That's true. And a rich guy, 20 bucks probably could too. And a rich guy could get in a club and it'd be like, oh, you're underage. So I have a reason to not let you in the club. Like you're a guy and you're underage. Yeah. So I'm not gonna, and I'm Andrew Dice Clay, which was something I'd totally forgotten. <laughs> that was and amazing. Him as the, as the bouncer. Yeah, I, I, I totally. I, I totally didn't remember that. That was a remarkable. I was like, yeah. what is he doing here? Um, yeah, we should give everything a score, and I guess you'll be the uh, the stable uh, host always, so people can key off your score. But like, <laughs> yes. I think out of a hundred percent, you know, I think rewatchability is probably, despite you know whatever laws are broken and how terrible something is. What do you think the rewatchability is? Where does it land for you on this? Let's see. I'd um. I'd give this one like I know this is that we're not calibrated yet, uh, so I don't even know because but I'll but I'll give this one like an a, an eight. I'll give it an eighty five. That's that's remarkably close to me. Well, what was yours? I was thinking eighty percent. I think wow. like it, it's really high. It's not as bad as I thought it'd be. Uh, I don't know about the emotional turns if I buy them. Um, also, like you, I cannot imagine the ending with getting Ducky. I would be disappointed as hell. Like. Yeah. Like, come on, you don't even like him. Like what? Um, but like, yeah, I was like, this wasn't that bad. This was not as bad as I thought. I was kind of dreading it. I put it off for a couple of days. <laughs> when you said, you know, five days to watch this, I put it off till Saturday night, uh-huh. and I had, you know, I had some time to kill. And I was mm-hmm. like, it's not that bad. I would say definitely eighty percent out of a hundred. Like, like these aren't stars, but this is like, I think it's totally rewatchable. It's totally not that bad, especially. I would think it aged pretty well overall. So I think you picked a great like opening movie for this. A good one. It's, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna it's be all downhill from here. I mean, I want to hear about the mannequins of the world and the uh, oh, yeah. the dead guy, weekend at Bernie's. Like those things Bernie's. are fucking god awful. But like this is this kind of holds up. It, uh, it, it does, and I think as a historical document for younger listeners out there who are like, what was it like in the eighties? I would say that. It holds up, like, I think when we were talking beforehand, you pointed out, like, some of the weird references to, like, Frank Sinatra and stuff made it seem like an older dude had written the script. But the 80s, there was a lot of nostalgia for the 50s in the 80s, at least. So some of that kind of gets a pass that that stuff was coming up. When I got my first car, it didn't have a stereo installed quite yet. So I had to listen to the radio. And I would listen to Wolfman Jack on AM radio driving in my car in 1987. So yeah, um, those sort of older references were a part of even like, you know, and then, then I got a stereo and I'd listen to the beastie boys. So, um, those, those different, uh, times and, and different influences of different times popping up, uh, really happened. But I would say, uh, yeah, it's a, it's rewatchable. It's a, it's not very sexual assaulty, surprisingly not rapey. And I think Molly Ringwald's really good. Like she, and, um, 
Andrew McCarthy is kind of forgettable, but like you can totally understand that. Like there's a bland dude, but I think uh, Molly Ringwald, uh, Annie Potts, and James Spader are all real standouts. And yeah, and if you just want to like time travel, and of course the soundtrack is fantastic. The New Order, OMD, uh, and the Psychedelic Furs uh, song and all that. So uh, the only like historical moment missing from it was they never walked by an arcade. Like that's <laughs> now I'm thinking about it. It's a pretty good uh, uh, like a time capsule of 1985 in it. Mm-hmm. There's no arcade, <laughs> but other than that, great music, great clothes, great hair, great everybody. And yeah, the as an adult who like I have friends that work in theater now and like. I go see local productions all the time of plays to think that Molly Ringwald was making those acting choices at 16, 17, 15, you know, in the earlier movies. She was amazing. Yeah. It's like, she was incredible. Like she plays those things so real. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a bummer that she <laughs> crossed. That John Hughes like, tanked her yeah, career. Yeah. Like if you look at her IMDb, it's just it's just like nothing from 1990 to like 2010, and then she steps sort of returned. Holds up. Holds up. Holds, Holds up. up. Awesome. Surprisingly, not problematic for our first time out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good choice, uh, Erica, on this film. Yeah. Well, we'll see. It's it's everybody else's choice from here on out. So. Uh, <laughs> and I think so, technically the 80s happened from like I would say about 1981 to about 1992 feels like the 80s to me. Like everything's yeah. still in the 80s because the next one i was i was like looking through the later john hughes's ones and the i was thinking career opportunities was technically i think 91 but still felt super 80s um that was the one with uh God, i can't remember her name and uh basically a john crier like guy and a you know sexy robber you yeah, know yeah. target store yeah because that's that's the other thing about 80s movies is like somebody's gonna be in their lingerie and i guess this kind of happened <laughs> in this one Oh, Every movie, like there's it. like a girl ends up in her laundry. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. And I was, I was like, who directed, like, was that a stunt leg? Probably. Cause that's pretty creepy to have Molly do. And then the only other thing I would say was creepy about the movie was the deep <laughs> tongue kissing that happens three times for an extended period of time on camera. I was just imagining an old man directing. It wasn't John Hughes. It was this other guy, Howard something that directed it and did a whole bunch of other teen movies. But like, I just imagine an old man <laughs> telling them to kiss again, kiss again, kiss again while like close, yep. closing up the cameras. That was not the only part that was just like, I want this yeah. to be over. <laughs> <laughs> just speaking of that. All right. <laughs> speaking of yeah, that, what's going to be over? Uh, thank you. Thanks so much for the, uh, for the impetus and suggestion to do this and for, for being the first pancake. Uh, oh, and thank you to anonymous anonymous person who left an amazing fo- uh, painting in the alley by your work that made and then jason uh for doing cover, the, uh, yeah cover so it's so this is all coming together awesome. clearly this is something the universe uh this is meant to needs be. to happen cool awesome thanks thank you This has been surprisingly problematic. Tune in next time for another awkward nostalgia fest.